When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to another episode of Horse Hour. It's so miserable and cold outside and I've just got the painful guilt in my stomach because I'm not spending enough time with my horse. Because by the time we finish work, it's dark, we don't get time to ride, we've only got weekends and then if you've got a family, there's just this time of year is the worst. But Christmas is coming up soon, it's only a couple of weeks away. And I guess we worry a lot more this time of year about the safety of our horse. So my guest today is Julia Mulligan, and she's the Police and Crime Commissioner for North Yorkshire. Good morning, Julia. You can't get much higher than that in the police force, can you? You're top of the tree. How are you? Very good this morning. Thank you very much. Been out early doing my horse. <laughs> what, what horses have you got? Uh, I've got a 16-2 Bay Belgian warm blood, and I also this morning was helping look after my neighbour's horse, oh, wow. uh, which is a Welsh cob. So as if you're not busy enough already running the police force, you actually look after your own horses too. <laughs> yeah, well, they're they're very good and uh, they're just over the road. We converted my friend's garage into a stable. So uh, in the wintertime, that's great because it's indoors. So it's good. That is such a good idea. Did you have yeah. to get planning permission for that? No, because it was already there. The building's already there. So you can use it how you want. So it's great. We just, just, just built in s- internal stables and off we went. And are you, do you live in the, in the middle of nowhere? Yes, I live in a small hamlet, so there's about um, 10 houses in the hamlet itself um, and a very good pub, um, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and then there's farmers all around us. Oh, lovely. And what do you do with your warm blood? Do you do dressage or jumping? Well, I've only had her about a year, and uh, so it's the first time I've had a horse in about 25 years, so I'm just getting back into it. Oh. Uh, I did, did some cross-country um, hunter trials this autumn and uh, doing a bit of dressage and she's a show jumper so I'm going to sort of try and enter the world of show jumping she's got a pot on her foot at the minute so she's on stable rest but anyway very dull uh, what's a pot well um she she got nicked by the farrier's nail and so another farrier came along and put this sort of bandage around her foot that hardens so it's like a cast it's like a pot yeah, and then he put the the shoe on top of that, so I can ride her out. But if you put her out in a muddy field, then it'll fall off. So, oh, yeah. so she's yeah. having a rest in the garage. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very warm and cosy in there. Well, I did take her out in the howling rain this weekend as well, and I think she thought, "My God, what are we doing out here?" And so we turned around and came back home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what's your reason then for coming back into riding later? 
Well, this is quite a sort of stressful job. And I went to see my doctor in January last year and he said, Julie, you really need to get a life. So I thought, right, that sounds like a uh, like a like a an idea to get get back into riding again. So I thought, well, I'll have a little look around and see what's around. And a friend of mine recommended this horse to me. And within a month, I'd got her. So. Oh, wow. It is yeah. true, though, It because you can't think about anything else other than the horse when you're with the horse. So all the stresses of work just completely go away because you've got to concentrate your brain. There's no brain space to think about anything else, is there? No, it's wonderful. From where I live, we've got moors. So you just head up to the top of the moor and get out into the countryside and the views are amazing and you just forget about everything else and enjoy yourself and just be with the horse and see the countryside and it's great. Amazing. Well, then, because you have horses, you understand our plight and the things that equestrians go through. When it comes to crime and it comes to worrying, I mean, they are our pride and joy and we have to you wouldn't leave your pride and joy in the middle of anywhere where it could get stolen but you do with horses because you have to leave them in the fields you have to leave them in the stables and I think you you know you'll understand that we are constantly worrying about where they are and are they okay and are they being stolen so we get a bit paranoid and I get OCD (laughs) I've got security up to the nines you know I will go down and I know every number plate that has gone past that field (laughs) well that's that's how you need to do it I mean I I mean when I first got mine and I had to put her out in the field I thought oh my god I've got to put her out in the field now because I'd had her on a yard Mm. and she felt safe up there and then when I brought her home I thought I've just got to leave her my god I've got to leave her (laughs) so I've got all sorts of different security as well just like you so it is important so what would you say is the best way that we can kind of protect them well I think it depends on your circumstances a little bit so if I mean I'm lucky because my stables are near my house Mm. um, and my field is literally out the back of the house so you you are there and there's people around because it's in a village I think it's more difficult for people who've got their horses you know in a more remote location and maybe they've you know got a a stable in a field that isn't their own and it's a little bit away from the house those sort of circumstances I think are more vulnerable than people who live sort of in a in a community or uh, have their stuff near their home um Mm. So, you know, the most important thing is to make everything as secure as you possibly can. And I I work on the principle that if you make it as difficult in your patch, then they'll just think, oh, that looks too hard and they'll go and find somewhere else that, that isn't. So that's the sort of principle that I work on, really. And I guess it's also being vigilant yourself and keeping an eye out yourself. And, and I remember there was a situation at a yard that I was at and... Well, the first question, actually, before I go to that is, uh, from a police point of view, do they tend to go more for the tack and um, things that they can sell on or do they go for the horses? They go for the tack. So, I mean, in North Yorkshire, we've had most of the horse thefts that we've had in North Yorkshire, and there haven't been very many, have been actually in relation to sort of domestic disputes and arguments over ownership, oh. as opposed to actually somebody nicking your horse because they've um, sussed it out and they think it's a valuable animal. And also, I think, I mean, I'm a member of a saddle club, and there's quite a lot of talk between members about people loaning horses and then the person who they've lent it to selling it without their permission so there's stuff like that that I think you need to be really careful of and that's far more likely to happen to you than I think somebody actually stealing your horse out of your field. Oh really because in in Dorset where I live um, and we we often about three times a year we get some travellers and Ah. that's fine because you know they they're most of them are brilliant and they never cause any problems apart from for the landowners that they're on their land but generally for the community they've they've been lovely 
But there's always this underlying fear of they're going to come and steal the horses. And so you're there camping out middle of the night (laughs) in the car with a blanket and hot chocolate. Just I mean, I don't know what I would do if somebody did come and steal my horse, but I'm there just in case. But there is this underlying fear when actually there aren't any stolen No, I think that is right. And when you love something like you do your horse, you know, you're passionate about it. You want to keep it safe, don't you? And you do. You really do worry about them. So, I I mean, I I don't think there'd be much risk from travellers any more than anything else. And interestingly, the horse meat scandal of a few years ago has meant that there's quite a lot of horses around now, more than there used to be, because they used to get sold into the food chain. And that doesn't happen anymore as much. So that did help matters a little bit as well. I wonder why they can't sell them into the horse trade, so horse meat trade anymore. Well, because there isn't a legal horse meat trade here, so it was it was an illegal horse meat trade, ah. and through the horse meat scandal, those uh, lots of those loopholes, those avenues were closed down to them. So there's there's still there is you know it still does happen, but certainly I mean so for example in West Yorkshire after that scandal, there were some abattoirs in West Yorkshire that were closed down that had been found um, illegally processing meat. So there are sort of backstreet abattoirs, if you like, that will take meat that they're not supposed to take, and it's not just horses. It's uh, sheep that have been stolen that sort of stuff as well so that that's the p- police do uh focus on that um with the food standards agency as well to try and crack down on um, illegal slaughterhouses it must be heartbreaking for you personally when you you love horses to hear of any horrible stories of things that have happened Yes, I mean, I had. I mean, I remember when I was um, when I first had horses. There was somebody going around chopping off horses' tails. Oh. I mean, it was just the most bizarre thing, and it's extremely upsetting when you see it. You know, because mm-hmm. it's almost like mutilation, and and it, it, you know, people who don't have horses won't understand. You know, why that's a thing, but it was it was awful. It was horrible. And you wonder what's the point in that? Why do it? I don't know. Maybe it's some, is horse hair valuable, or I don't know. I mean, it was just seemed a bizarre, random thing, but it happened all around the valley where I lived. Oh gosh, there was a friend of mine actually. She had um, a yearling, and she went down to her field one morning, and her yearling had been horrifically mutilated, had been stabbed, and it was just about surviving. And she managed to save it, and he and he's now completely fine. But for her, you know, it's a baby. What's the, what's the reason of going in and, and stabbing a horse? There is no reason for that. No, and I don't understand it. And and you know, it's like any cruelty to animal, isn't it? I don't. I, I, you know, anybody who loves animals cannot possibly conceive how anybody would do that. I mean, we do get a few. There are a few incidents like that every year. Um, I mean, as I say, there the ones in North Yorkshire have been mainly related to domestic disputes. Mm. Um, so people have had an argument with someone and they've, they've taken it out on the horse. Mm. Well, the other thing that we can do is, I, I, I guess what I'm always preaching on about is that we all talk to each other a little bit more yeah. and help each other out and say, you know, there, there was an incident at a yard I was in two years ago where it was Christmas and um, we were all trying to keep everything locked up and we've got CCTV and we've got the big locks and and I was the last one to lock the gate which I hated doing in the middle of the night anyway because it's scary and it's spooky I locked the gate and I was just sat in my car and this van drove past and it was a um it was in in a car park there was nowhere there was no reason for the van to be there he turned around did a u-turn put his full beams right in my face and then drove off and I sat there and I thought I should I should take the number plate I don't know why but then then I was scared and all I could think about was getting out I was thinking 
this is crazy. If he was to come and attack me now, I'm by myself in the middle of nowhere. I need to get out of this place. And he drove off. And I was thinking, I must get his number plate. I must get his number plate. I was trying to start my engine to drive out, but he'd gone. I mean, it happened so quickly. And then I thought, is that something to worry about? And your head switches in and says, no, Amy, don't be ridiculous. You're being paranoid. Why would somebody break into your yard? This is crazy. You know, get on with it kind of thing. The next morning, the yard had been broken into and all the tack had been stolen. And on top of that, a horse had been let out and tried to be taken through the fence. So they had actually tried to take a horse. And it was only the fact that one of the girls was there at five o'clock in the morning that spooked them. Yeah. And so they drove off. So obviously the police came. They were amazing. So understanding. And they said, did you take a number plate? And I was just I was just killing myself for not taking the number plate and I wish I had but my head was saying you're being paranoid at the time that I should have been taking the number plate if that makes sense well now I just guess I want to say even if you think it's the slight even if you're slightly suspicious you take the number plate and you take down the car and you take down the description you're absolutely right so um and quite a lot of police force areas have things called rural watch or horse watch schemes mm. where local people can sign up to it and uh, they keep an eye out in their local community for suspicious vehicles and they're a really good idea i mean i'm a member of ours here and i've got signs on on the gate into my field i've got signs on my house i've got signs <laughs> on my stables and they're they've been quite successful in putting people off because they know that there's uh, you know eyes and ears out in the community looking for things Mm. and that just that puts puts them off and it also depends a little bit where where you live so I live in a border area and we get people coming North Yorkshire is a very safe place but we get people coming in from across the border to commit crime mm. and so um, the, the registration numbers are really important because the police have systems that can uh, scan the number plates of vehicles as they move around the road networks oh. so if you give them the vehicle registration number it's helpful not only if something does happen and then then know what the vehicle is it can also help them look for vehicles as well using those cameras oh wow so basically that's the first thing you need to do then is get the number plate yeah absolutely and and also but if you've obviously got a description but if you've got the slightest bit of doubt Mm. just dial 101 and call it in and and they will take it down and if something does happen like it did on your yard they've then got some evidence around how they can go and find out i mean we've had a spate of tap rooms being broken into and through the saddle club you hear you hear about it because it's all on you know we'll chat on facebook and um so you've got to you know we're all sort of and they're taking stuff like you know old dirty rugs and things like that and you just think what on earth are they doing that for we can't even sell our old rugs on ebay like (laughs) where are they gonna sell them (laughs) it's just bizarre and you just think does anybody really want that stuff but clearly they do and actually it's the replacement value isn't it you know uh, you know each individual one isn't worth a huge amount of money but if they clean out your tack room you know you're into you know four five hundred six hundred quid yeah 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 and you're probably not covered on your insurance either no because there are loopholes with the insurance you do have to make sure that it's in a lockable like a, a, a proper contained yeah. area with a lock it's got to five lever mortise lock most of the time mm-hmm. and and so most stables just simply are, so if you've got i mean a lot of people like i i do i keep bits and pieces in the in my end stable yeah. the feed and all of the rest of it but and uh, never leave anything valuable in there i take everything into the house so 
I have a little broom cupboard which I've converted into a mini tap locker <laughs> and, uh, and I keep it all in the house. It's a bit annoying when my mates want to come round and ride my horse because we have a whole keep of lava. <laughs> but, but at least I know my stuff is safe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on to and a thing that all equestrians hate and that is drivers and being on the road because we a lot of us don't have a choice but to go onto the road and we, we don't necessarily want to be there but we have to so how can we make ourselves safer well first of all high-vis stuff so mm. um, always 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 wear high-vis stuff so if, if you don't want to wear it if you don't think it looks good good put your horse in it <laughs> <laughs> most so of them I'm look a... quite cool now don't they they've got yeah. these new flashing like chest plates for the horses yeah. Yeah, there's some really good stuff out there. So that's particularly in the winter time. You know, if you've if you've rushed home from work to try and you know get in a sneaky ride at the end of the day, and it's getting a bit dark, and you really, really must be be, be high vis. And then if you know the the driver's got absolutely no excuse that they didn't see you if you're there all lit up like a Christmas tree. It is really, really important. Um, and the thing that worries me is, I mean, my horse is quite good on the roads, but you know, all horses spook at stuff, don't they? And yeah. just riding along and I go down um, a track down the moor a, a road down the moor and they just speed along there at you know 80 miles an hour and most of them slow down for you but there's one or two that they just they go straight past you and I think my god if my horse spooked and went into into the front of the vehicle you just wouldn't stand a chance no um, so be as high vis as you can and also if you're I mean if you're with your with friends then make sure that you keep up close together if you can because then vehicles can pass you more easily and they're not crawling behind you and causing problems because I rather vehicle come past me Mm. than crawl behind me I don't know about you but I find it a bit disconcerting when they're sat behind you and you're waving them on going come (laughs) on come past um but also I think the other thing is I mean I we've got lots of farmers around us and most of them are brilliant but there's one or two that that pile past you mm. um and i think it's important that they get to that, that have a chat with your farmers say you're riding around the lanes make sure that they know that you that you're out and about you know not every time you go out riding but generally so that you know they they're aware that you're that you're there and keep your ears peeled because you can obviously hear traffic coming and if you're a bend and you hear something it's like oh my god there's something big coming mm. you know pull over into a gate wait you know until it goes past and that's that sort of stuff do you know what I find worse? Worse than vehicles and big vehicles. He doesn't, mine doesn't like lorries either, but he can handle them. The worst thing is the silent cyclists. Yeah. <laughs> that change the gears just at that point that they're right by your bum because that's it, <laughs> we're gone. <laughs> so I've got into a habit of, of waving and saying, hello, how are you to all cyclists that go past? They look at me like I'm crazy, but at least we know they're there. <laughs> Yeah, and some of them shout out when mm. they're there, which is really good. So I have one that I regularly see in, in where I ride, and he always shouts out, so coming, coming, and yeah. I go, thanks, you know, thumbs up, and and, uh, and that works quite well. So if anybody's got any cyclist, mate, I think that if they just shout out that they're there, that can help as well. Yeah, don't use the bell right by us, because no. <laughs> that was what will send us, unless you want a giggle of us falling into a ditch. Yeah. <laughs> so have you got any horses on the plane? force have you got a mounted force no we don't um oh, I bet you'd I know. Love that. 
Well, I, they, they're too expensive. So we share the mounted horses. So there, we have a collaboration with different police forces across the Yorkshire area and West Yorkshire um, have horses. So if we need them, we use West Yorkshire's. I've seen a group of volunteer women that have been used. Oh, and men, sorry, I should say volunteer people that um, are, are using their horses and they're working with the police and they're going out and, and being the mounted force. Have, have you got those as well? Some forces of what are called special constables who go out on horseback. So mm-hmm. special constables are volunteer police officers and, you know, anybody can be a special constable. It's a really interesting voluntary role. Um, and in some forces, I think um, Hampshire, for example, they have, um, and Sussex, I think, have uh, mounted specials where you go out and you sort of patrol the countryside, if you like, on horseback. Because you can see all sorts of stuff when you're on a horse, <laughs> can't you? <laughs> yeah, you can. Well, my boy is very big and very black he's a Frisian and when he has all his gear on I, I can't help but I'm safety up to the nines Julia I, you know I've got the helmet I've got the high vis I've got the back protect I've got everything if there's anything else I'd have it because I'm scared of dying um so when we go out people think we're a police horse and it's hilarious uh, because they come over and they're like oh what do you do for a job I said well I'm a podcast host and a radio presenter <laughs> they're like, oh we thought you were a police officer but what it means is that everybody slows down and everybody stops and so for me yeah. it's perfect because my baby's young so he's still learning yeah, yeah. I, I mean you do have to be a little bit the police don't like it if you start um sort of impersonating no yes. I don't pretend so, I, I, I no. can't I've got everything's like normal horse stuff it's just because of the look that it's yeah. because of the way that he looks he's yeah. very big six over 16 hands and he looks he looks regal, but he, he looks like a police horse. So it's an automatic response. There was a um, there was a big festival going on in, in another yard that I was at, and I hadn't had him very long. And we went for a hack down to the local school, and, and literally cars were stopping and saying, you know, good morning, and how are you, officer? <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 <laughs> please don't come to me with any problems because I'm only just about sat on the horse and I can't help you. <laughs> So they, um, what they use the police horses mostly for is public order things. So football matches, those type mm. of type of things. So, you know, and they they're big, you know, big physical presence on the street, and they can help with crowd control and all of that sort of stuff. So that's what the police mainly use police horses for now nowadays. Where we are, they use them occasionally for race day at York because oh, yeah. uh, we have a fantastic race track at York. But they're not really for public disorder. They're there because they are really good relationship exercise for the police with the public because people love the police horses. They do, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they do. do. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to wear a sign saying, I'm not an officer. <laughs> <laughs> So when it comes to then travelling your horses, we hear horror stories of of accidents. Um, The one thing I wanted to ask is, can you take a trailer on the motorway? Uh, yes, you can take a trailer on the motorway, but you have to, um, you have to, I think it's 50 miles an hour that you have to stay below. The most important thing, though, is you wait. So um, you've got to make sure that the vehicle can pull the trailer that you're pulling with the horse in it. So, for example, if you've got an ordinary 4x4, four four, I have a Freelander, um, I've got a lightweight trailer and I can take two horses of about two, sort of a my horse and a pony, say, in it, but I couldn't take two full-grown horses with my horse box. And a, and a, and my car because it can only pull two thousand uh, two tons. Mm. So you have to have to really be careful about that. And a lot of people, I think, probably exceed the weight limits with their trailers and their vehicles. And if you were in an accident, it's highly likely that your insurance would be void and you'd be liable for everything. 
Wow. So really, really be careful about your weight. It's just a personal thing, but I think if you are going to go on a motorway, I'd rather use a horse box rather than a trailer just because the it's the other drivers it's not you you're safe and sensible driver you know you've got your precious cargo in the back it's the other people that have no idea and they're swerving in swerving around you can't break suddenly it's just it's kind of setting up for disaster it's so dangerous I mean I, it's that braking thing isn't it because yeah. you can't break and uh, people do so I the thing I hate the most is if I'm particularly on country roads you know an A road you're driving along and a car thinks oh, I can just nip in there mm. you know maybe you're getting towards a roundabout or something and your stopping distances you have to take a long time to slow down and they just come in in front of you and you can't break and it's I, I, that freaks me out that really freaks me out mm. but you can't do anything about other drivers you just have to really be careful about the way that you drive and I think just leave plenty of time to make your maneuvers and so I, I don't know people do things different ways but so for example I never with I've got my my trailer on go across a, a roundabout without stopping even if there's no traffic coming I will just slow down and take my time because you never know what's going to come around the corner and then when I'm absolutely certain it's clear I'll pull out and and do what I need to do but it, it, it's just everybody has their own way of driving but I just leave plenty of time Okay, so where do you go with yours? Uh, well, there's a riding centre down the road that does dressage competitions on a Thursday evening and a Sunday afternoon. So I take her down there sometimes. <laughs> but North Yorkshire, we've got, I mean, we've got all sorts of competitions going on, particularly in the autumn time all over the place. So I don't like going much more than about an hour and a half away. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that's quite a long time in a, in a trailer. But then I've got friends who've taken their horses down to competitions down south and they've organised to hire boxes on route <laughs> so they can take the horse out so it can have a wee. You know stuff like that, and you know. So I think once you get into it and you see the type of things that you like doing, you off you go, don't you? You take your trailer and off you go. Well, I'd say if you want to come down to the New Forest, that's where I am. So you're more Uh than welcome to come down here. However, I think you've got way more land than we do. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be like coming down to a little prison down here because you've got so much land in North Yorkshire. It's just you're very lucky. Yeah, but don't we always want more bridleways, don't we? So there's never enough yeah. bridleways. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's always good to try and I, I have an arrangement with some of my local landowners and farmers and they let me ride on their land, which is really kind of them. Um, so it's always worth asking to see if, if people will let you. I think the guys that live in the countryside are, are really lucky and they tend to have quite a bit of land. They have designated bridleways. The ones that struggle are, are more inner city in town. So there's nowhere for them to go. And they're the ones I feel for because they can't move out to the countryside. They work and live in the towns. And it would be really nice, I think, if other people were a little bit more aware of them. They get the buses and they get the motorcyclists and they get everything. I don't know. I don't know how to help them. <laughs> I want to help well, them. But I don't know how to. <laughs> Well, I because um, where where I am, there's quite a few people who are sort of on the borders of towns, like you've just described, and we try and arrange trips out to go out riding into sort of where you know. So those of us who are lucky enough in the to live in the countryside will say to our mates, "Oh, come on, let's go out for a ride." you know today and people can come out and have a have a sort of you know that type of stuff so they can get out and they're not just stuck in a school because that's Mm. it's nice riding in schools but you know when you're on a horse you want to get out and about don't you I think and it builds your confidence it wasn't until I started hacking that I realized actually it helped my seat it helped my balance and it helped my confidence loads yeah and it gets your horse fit as well yeah it does (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
are you then bringing your passion of horses more into your job or do you have to try and keep them a bit separate? I keep them separate but mm-hmm. North Yorkshire is one of the largest rural police forces in the country so and I grew up on a hill farm so mm. I'm I'm like sort of countryside born and bred and so it's really important that the countryside is policed properly um, and part of that is people with horses because we're an important part of the economy, the local economy and, you know, we contribute a lot to our communities with our horses and I, and I think, you know, we're just as citizens like anybody else and we deserve a good service. So it's part of that overall service that the police need to provide in the countryside and I, and I do think the countryside sometimes gets a bit of... Um, you know, everybody looks at the more quote-unquote serious crime in the towns and the cities. And sometimes I think, particularly if money's tight, then the temptation is to remove resources from rural areas and put them into urban areas. And that's something that I think we need to be careful of, that those of us who live in country areas and me as responsible for a rural, predominantly rural police force, it's something I'm fighting quite hard for. Mm, absolutely. And how's it going? Uh, well, we've... <laughs> We had a bit of a fight with the government over a, a change in the funding formula for the police, which which the rural forces got very upset about, and we won that. Oh, well done. So, uh, yeah, we did. So uh, so they've put that on hold for the moment. Um, so it's a bit of a shot across the bows there because it was all the rural forces that came off worse in the end. So mm. I set up something called the National Rural Crime Network, and so all of the police and crime commissioners and forces that have largely rural areas have got together to try and sort of get our point across, and we're going to be doing some work in the next few months as the government thinks about how they do the funding formula again to make sure that people understand what's going on in the countryside we've got big levels of underreported crime in the countryside and if the police don't know what's going on mm. then they can't they won't put police officers there so it is, goes back to your point before about if you see anything suspicious just call 101 and it is really really important yeah even if it's the slightest thing because it, it might mean nothing but your, your gut is actually <laughs> it's amazing (laughs) because your gut will be able to tell you if something isn't right and it's much better to report it and then to find out actually it's okay don't worry than not report it which is what I didn't do and then before you know it your whole yard's broken into and you've got horses missing and tack I mean you can people use um, the bad guys will will do reckies which is probably what you saw Mm. and it doesn't necessarily lead to a crime you know that night but what they're doing is they're doing a recce and maybe in a couple of weeks time they'll come back and they'll nick something so that the police call it low level intelligence that local sort of community based intelligence is really important to them so they can work out what's going on because they a lot of the time they know who's who's wrecking where and they want to make sure that they can stop that from happening and they're very good at disrupting criminals activities and intelligence like that information like that can help the police disrupt what the criminals are doing just going back to your point of the government trying to cut funding for rural police officers, you said that North Yorkshire is one of the safest towns, safest towns, which is amazing. Surely that's because you've got the police officers. If they cut them, isn't there an element of, of it might not be so safe because you won't well, be able to do your job? Well, that's that's what obviously people are worried about. Um, but I mean, we, we are lucky. We are actually the safest place in England at the moment in North Yorkshire. And we're very proud of that. And the police have done a really good job to uh, to make it that way. But but but. You know, we're surrounded by areas that have got higher crime rates and we import crime from other areas. So, mm. you know, we have to make sure that the borders in North Yorkshire are strong and that, you know, we use technology like I've described before to try and, you know, identify people coming in and out of the county. So it's not just police officers on the ground. It's 
all of the different things that the police can do to try and keep a place safe. And sometimes that's just as helpful for a, a town as it is for, for a country area. So, you know, if they spot somebody coming in, it, they may be trying to burgle houses in, you know, Harrogate, or they may be coming out into the into the rural areas. But the point is that they've identified that criminal who may be coming in to do something horrible and they can disrupt his activities. So Christmas is probably one of the biggest time of year for crime. Um, well, it's one of the highest. Um, it depends on the weather a little bit. I know that oh, really? might sound silly, but um, so if it's very wet or very cold, then crime rates, you know, anecdotally, you can sort of see that they tend to go down. But of course, it's very busy because people are out and about. So drink driving is a classic thing at this time of year. Um, and also things like sort of Builders Friday um, <laughs> and lots of people out partying. So, you know, there's quite a lot of problems, say, in places like York, where people, you know, have a lot to drink you know not just your but lots of cities and towns um, and there's quite a lot of disruption associated with people drinking too much so that puts a lot of extra demand on the police at this time of year so it, it is a busy time of year so you guys working pretty much non-stop at the moment 24/7. yeah yeah the police so the police it's a very busy time of year so you know they'll be out and about and, and doing what they need to do do you ever get really annoyed and you just think, oh, for God's sake, why are you drinking like that? Why why can't you just be responsible people because you're causing so many problems for us? Like if people well, were, weren't stupid enough that they had to drink themselves into oblivion, you know, and, and they know what they're doing, it might take a little bit of pressure off. Well, we're just doing some work in one part of North Yorkshire to try and um, we're basically saying, look, we, we, we're here to protect you, but you need to take responsibility for yourself mm. as well. So we will do all of these things to keep you safe. Because if you if you drink too much, you know, you can make yourself vulnerable to all sorts of things. So, you know, so, for example, in your all of the, the, the doormen are trained to spot when somebody might have had too much and they might and to get them, try and get them home safe put them back with their friends make sure that they're together stuff like that so you know you don't want girls going out and, and getting so drunk that they don't realize that they might put themselves you know there might be a situation that is not what they want to be in you know and so mm-hmm. things like that we need to make sure that people are safe we need to make sure the police officers are there but it's not just about the police it's about it's about everybody who works in the nighttime economy everybody who can help protect somebody um but it's also down to people to be responsible in the way that they behave and it's it is a deal I think you know the public service sector will be there they'll help you but you have to behave in a way that doesn't put yourself at risk well you're not babysitters no (laughs) no the police are not babysitters exactly um, but they do pick up quite a lot of demand, for example, from social services on a Friday night. So because um, social services close down largely on a Friday. And so sometimes vulnerable people will come to the police because there's nowhere else to go and things like that. So the police pick up a lot of that type of demand. A lot of work around people with mental health problems as well. Oh, really? Yeah. What do you do with the people that need mental health help? So there's there's a number of things that you can do. We have something called a street triage, which is when mental health nurses and police officers will go to in, an incident together because a police officer is not, you know, a qualified mental health nurse um, and they can respond in a certain way. But actually what's needed is, you know, somebody who's qualified medical person to come and help with that situation. So we have that type of thing going on. And we also um, have hospitals that have special suites in them. So if you are a, a real point at mental health crisis and you 
you're detained under the Mental Health Act, then you can go to hospital and you're not you don't go to police custody anymore. And that that is really important that you are treated um, as somebody who needs help and support and not like a criminal in a police cell. I mean, this is amazing, Julia, because we never hear all this stuff. We don't hear all the things that the police force do as a whole. It's more than just going out and policing the beat. And we know you do intelligence and we know you keep an eye on things. But I don't think we're told enough of how deep you guys really go and how much you actually help. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the challenges, I think, for for the policing across the country and also for, for us, for policing crime commissioners, is to try and explain exactly what it is that the police... Only about a third of the police's work in North Yorkshire is directly related to crime. So the rest oh. of it is around keeping people safe, so public welfare and safety and those type of things. So uh, people are normally quite amazed at that statistic. We have gone off track a little we bit. We have a bit, haven't we? <laughs> because it's horse hour but you're fascinating and and just I could talk to you for ages um let's go back to the horse side of things and I know you don't have a mounted police force but there was a horse recently in in New York that was hurt you would have seen it on social media I mean it's going to be dangerous for the horses obviously but they're doing a job I guess you guys are doing everything that you can to protect them and make sure that they don't get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just horses as well. So dogs, there's lots of police dogs as mm. well. And so, um, you know, our, our, our canine and equine friends can really help. And so, you know, um, just just like you love your horse, the police officers who, who have their horses, they really want to look after their horses as well. So they have a relationship with their horses just in the way that we do with ours. And I, I've got a police officer friend in in West Yorkshire and she's she's desperate to get into the mounted section but (laughs) those places don't come up very often so you know it's a real tight-knit community in the in the sort of mounted section and they really look after their horses. Because lots of people do ask if if we should be using horses for police work and should we be using horses at all for for any kind of work? Well I think that's you know, down to your own personal views. I mean, they are a very, very valuable policing tool in certain circumstances, uh, and they can really help keep people safe. So, so I would say yes. Um, but they do, and and actually, very few of them do get hurt. I mean, you know, like that one you mentioned. You know, they're few and far between, um, and they are only used in particular circumstances. They're not deployed all of the time, just um, in the way that a regular officer would be deployed. So, it's a very specialist area of policing you you know the the number of mounted officers and horses is decreasing because they're quite expensive um, but they are very valuable in circumstances so I think they're a central part of the sort of policing landscape. Lots of people would like mounted police horses when they've retired so you can see people looking online. Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And saying I'd like an ex-police source, how do I find Because they're so well-trained. But yeah. I, I looked for one myself before I got mine because I thought, wow, they'll be bomb-proof. <laughs> but a lot of them actually go to the owners that looked after them in the police force and they end up retiring with them, don't they? Yeah, and it's the same with the dogs as well. So, um, And that's just sort of, like I said, that's that's about the relationship that you have with your horse, isn't it? You know, which is quite a special thing. Thanks so much, Julia. Just before we go, I think Facebook, Twitter, social media is becoming such a, a good platform for us as equestrians to warn each other, to help each other, to advise each other. So what would you say? Get on all the groups? Yeah, get on all the groups. I mean, I'm a member of a local saddle club and also various other groups online as well. And you just swap stories. So, you know, like those tap room thefts that I mentioned earlier on, suddenly it's all around our saddle club that that's what's happening. And, and you know, we all suddenly think, right, OK, we just need to be a little bit extra careful and keep our eyes open. The other thing that I would say is if you've got a rural watch scheme in your area, join it because they can be re- a real deterrent and uh, and you do also get to hear what's going on. So it's yeah use all the social media but also join in with what the police are doing in your local area because that can really help as well and the police are being great at at using twitter for warning people about and advising them and letting them know what's going on i mean you're really active on twitter yes so the north yorkshire police has a huge twitter following but also lots of officers and pcso's they all have their own twitter accounts in their professional capacity as well so if you look in your in your local area so i you know where i live near skipton in north yorkshire we've got lots of people on police officers and pcso's on twitter and i follow them all there's the roads policing team which i follow <laughs> You know, there's, so there's lots of there's lots of um, different groups on Twitter, and they're just it's a, just a good way to get information instantly um, and find out what's going on. And you know, like the road stuff we talked about earlier, you know, mm. you can find out if the road is blocked and you need to go around. That can be a problem if you're in a horse box, you know, and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what the route is like. So stuff like that can be really handy. So it's using social media a little bit more to our advantage, isn't it? Really, rather than just posting pictures. <laughs> <laughs> It's an informative... Yes, and you can tell the police things as well. So, um, I mean, they prefer you to call 101, but Mm. if there's something that you see, then, uh, you know, call call it in above all else. But uh, if you've got a bit of dialogue going on with your local officer on on Twitter, then let them know as well. Julian, thank you so much. The Police and Crime Commissioner for North Yorkshire. I can't believe you came on to our podcast. Thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, Amy. Now on to my next guest. This one is exciting because we have had some awesome guests. But nothing like Sue, because she's a horse stunt rider. She's the founder of Les Amis Dono. How are you, Sue? 
I'm fine, thank you. Good. It's so much easier if I let you explain yourself what you do. Because as a little girl always wanting a horse, I used to see the black Frisians and the stunt riders and just think that would be so cool to be in that. And you now do that for a living. Yeah, well, basically, we started out in France probably around the year 2000, a little bit before that, really. Um, and so, like like you say, I'm one of the founding members, and the other two founding members are actually both my children, um, which is a bit weird, but we've all been working together for sort of 15 years now, so that's working. How old are your children? Bethany's now 26 and Jake's 27. So they started out when they were sort of like 11 and 12-ish kind of age. Um, And we were living and working in France at the time. And what were you doing working there? Were you working with horses? Well, we were living there and yeah, we started working with horses with a, a performing horse troupe actually, which it was just coincidence really, because where we were living, they literally lived in the next village. And as Bethany was obsessed with horses, she wanted to go and see what they were doing. And so very quickly, they started to take her on weekends to help out. And uh, eventually, I went along and dragged Jake along. (laughs) And when we saw what they were doing with their Frisians, they were doing Liberty Acts and uh, some really beautiful things. We just fell in love with the horses, really, and just decided that's what we wanted to do. So we carried on working with them really sort of at weekends and any extra time we'd got and then it just became it took over our whole life really and then we started working with them and traveling around France and uh wow you know, learning everything really yeah so that's you you never looked back from the moment then you were just helping out at a, at a yard next door and now you've got your own troop Yeah, that's exactly it. We were really lucky because we went to so many different venues and so many different events as as just helping out that we learned so much. And because performing horses and stunt horses are so big in France, there's so many live entertainment shows that have horses in, big nighttime shows. There's people like Lorenzo that you might have heard of and the Pignons. And of course, we've seen them, you know, many times at lots of different venues where we were doing much smaller Uh, performances and they're like the main act Um, so we learned a lot and then really Bethany's more interested in the finer points of the horse training and the liberty work I was quite quickly taken in by the stunts and the Cossack riding and the trick riding and so I did an intensive course and learnt and it was very very hard yeah I bet (laughs) over a couple of months and then to start with I was doing quite a lot of the stunt riding shows and at that point Jake must have been about 14 so he was helping me and uh, helping out but not really doing much himself but of course he saw lots of stunt riding and then suddenly the next thing he was just standing on two horses and saying hey I'm gonna do this (laughs) so he very quickly overtook me with his skill at this at the trick riding so uh yeah we carried on from there really and you've I bet you've got to have some sort of gymnastics strength in you because it always to me looks like they're doing you're doing backflips and jumping off the side and I'm thinking I can only just about manage to sit on with my core muscles <laughs> let alone hang yeah. off the side a lot of it is your core muscles and you do have to work very hard but like anything that's like a performance that's a physical skill you are trained to make it look easy and effortless mm-hmm. but actually it's very very hard and when you first start doing trick riding and even when you're an experienced trick rider 
finger, you get bruises from the saddle, you know, all, you know, in all sorts of different places that you never <laughs> knew you had. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's something where you need really thorough training. You need a, a good flexibility, good core strength, but also you need to be mentally strong as well because some of the things you're doing with the horses you wouldn't normally do when you're riding a horse. So it's not in your mind to be standing on a horse. That's a big mental block, for example. So you need to be able to control your sort of mental fears uh, to be able to do the trick riding. So, do you still get fears then? Uh, yeah, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. Different things. It's a bit like anything. If you have something that may go slightly wrong or you have a bit of a scare at one time, the next time you come to do that move, you know, you've got that in the back of your mind. Oh, you know, I must, uh, you know, really concentrate on this. But you, you sort of train yourself and then you have muscle memory. So you do rely on doing correct movements. But yeah, sometimes. But I think I don't think Jake does. I think he just enjoys it. <laughs> I bet he gets so much attention from the girls as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He just makes it look so easy. And you do need uh, quite a bit of charisma to go out there as well, the performance side of it. So obviously, you know, you you kind of play to the crowd. Um, so it makes you a very popular person, really. Where would we have seen you perform? Well, since we've been back based over in this country, which is about eight years now we've been here, uh, we've performed at a lot of different places, agriculture shows and game fairs are fairly big Mm -hmm. uh country fairs medieval fairs now we work a lot in and around scotland so we've been to sort of like various places in scotland that would be quite well known like a border union show which is a big show um blair castle horse trials we were at this year doing the entertainment in the in the uh, countryside arena. And then coming down south, we've appeared at places as far south as Chelmsford, mm-hmm. uh, Northampton. We've been to the Halifax show. You know, we, it really depends where, we, where we're kind of booked, where so we go. You've got to have good travelling horses then, ones that don't mind jumping in yeah. the lorry, jumping out and doing their thing. Yeah, the horses have a, a really good amount of training to learn what they're doing. Uh, my original horse that is still working, I've been working with him for 15 years, obviously. Um, and he started when he was three. Oh. And he's still going out. He loves doing the jousting. He does some of the trick riding, but he is that much older now. So, um, But he's, he's pretty steady, so he's, he's very good. But the horses take a lot of training, and they have to get used to traveling in the lorry. And then when they arrive at an unusual place, they have to be trained to be able to come out stand quietly stand at the lorry and wait um and and there's so much that they have to learn so it it takes a good few years to get a good sort of stunt riding performing horse that can come out to any show so basically what we do is we we try throughout the summer season to take a youngster or two with us to different shows and they have a very undemanding role so they might have just a walk on part or they might uh, or they might even just come for the ride So then they come along and they go through, you know, they come to the place and they're like, oh, you know, like they learn all about it. They learn to stand with the other horses. Uh, They maybe just go into the arena, do a small piece in a show. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how they learn. They need to do that for at least two seasons, really, before they're ready to actually go out there and do all sorts of things. So So you're, you're using the other horses then to teach the youngster what's the right way to behave? Absolutely. Our horses, I mean, we've actually got 16 horses now and they all uh, can all live in one big herd at some points when we've got the space. They all go together. They all know each other really well. 
And I remember somebody once saying, a horse can't learn just by looking at another horse, but but that's absolutely not true <laughs> because the horses do learn by mm. looking at the other horses. And they learn, they, they learn so much by coming with the older experienced horses. So they learn you know how to be how to behave how to stand at the lorry and they also learn to come into a large arena that's full of like terrifying things like mm. you know flags and speakers and noise and people cheering and shouting and clapping and that and they actually learn and they learn from what the other horses are doing so yeah they do they learn <laughs> i i used to class uh, race horses and jockeys as the most fearless of all riders until i saw some of the things that you do I mean, it is insane. You're upside down, hanging off their side. The relationship and the bond that you must have with these horses is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's a very strong bond. And we, we've got six full-time people in our troop and we've got about six part-time people. And all the full-time riders work with their own specific horses. Yeah. Uh, so really, you know, you, ha- you do have a very strong bond and you'll only trick ride on the horse that you work with, that you practice with and that you've got a good bond with. And if for a season coming up, it's decided you're going to be riding a, a different horse, then you will actually start working with that horse and build up a bond with that horse so each person has got a very strong bond and it's really important because the same as with the jousting if when you're riding a lot of the time you're not you're not actually holding on you're not you've got no means of actual control with what you're doing with the horse so the horse has to know that you know what you're asking it to do at like gallop down a line or round it around a circle or down a jousting tilt they need to uh trust that you've asked them to do the right thing and that they're going to go down there and uh stop at the end because you've done that in your training <laughs> so you know it is a it's a lot of trust it's a lot of trust you know and the horses do work very hard as well yeah so is it a different style of riding then to say classical dressage or, or obviously show jumping do you do you have your own kind of style or do you take some basics of, of other styles yeah, well, I would say that, uh, weirdly enough, it's a lot closer to the classical riding than any modern competition riding. Because one of the things that we do with our training with our horses is actually we don't rely on using a huge amount of like big bits or mm-hmm. kind of training aids or things like that. And we start our horses actually from being on the ground. We do a lot of work from on the ground. And so uh, we'll work with the horse at liberty quite a lot. So we get a lot of a good bond a good control with the horse and we're very insistent on letting the horse move in its comfortable way and not constricting it in any way so to get the horse into the outline for example we don't use like quick fix aids and things Mm. like that we actually work the horses so that they actually become you know they move longer and lower and stretch and then they come up from behind and so then they're kind of working in a much better way because there's no point strapping up a horse with lots of different things if you're actually then going to gallop down the line and let go of all the reins you know you need the horse to be working without properly without too many of your aids Mm. Uh, so we use a lot of sort of um also natural horsemanshipy types of things i don't like to say any one particular one because we pick and choose from what we're working on and also we're very keen on centered riding which is really where you you use your your breath and your body to control your horse much more than these sort of physical aids so um it is a particular type of training and i would say that it's much nearer a type of classical type of riding of actually get encouraging the horse to work correctly rather than trying to achieve a result 
It's fascinating. Yeah, totally understand. Um, I've mentioned it in a previous podcast, a friend of mine who's over in America called Troy Griffith. He does exactly the same as what you do, um, but over in America, so he does the medieval writing. Um, But what he does is he writes these blogs on ways that you could use classical riding to help yourself on your on your horse and yeah and I'm just I'm obsessed with it because there's pictures and diagrams and he says you've got to be centered like you saying you have to be centered and for me it's opened up this whole new world of riding from like the 18th century he says he has quotes from people in the 18th century that say how you should ride now and it is about just backing off as a human and, and letting the horse be a horse, um, but teaching it to hold himself, to move, to balance without everything else and all the other kind of stuff that, that we use and put on them. Do you teach yeah. as well? Uh, we do. Yeah, I, I do in particular, because obviously as the years go by, I do less and less of the actual stunts and things, partly due to a small accident, not doing a crazy stunt, but just training a horse uh, where I hurt my knee. And then that means you're kind of like not really as physically able to do some of the things because your knee, your joints are all very quite important. So I back off quite a bit with that now, but I do do the teaching mm-hmm. uh, and I do it particularly with my horse, who's my original horse because he's so good and he will stand and let students do all the moves at a standstill and he'll just stand there all day and he's very very kind with students as well because then we we usually move on to doing moves in walk and he'll just walk really gently and um and just keep walking and if they kind of look like they're kind of wobbling off or whatever he'll stop if he thinks oh no this is this is going to go wrong I'll just so he's he's a very very good teaching horse and um everybody that comes and does training with him really loves him because he's he's so tolerant and there's people kind of clambering on him and trying to jump on him and sort of (laughs) booting him in the side and he'll just stand there and be like oh okay come on try again (laughs) and uh so yeah he's very good so uh, yeah I do uh, I run a sort of teaching lessons in fact two well yeah two of our best trick riders came originally as students Uh. and then they became so good and they became so keen on what we were doing that they they're now actually performing which is quite good but a lot of people come because it's a different thing to try out Mm -hmm. and it might you know it's very it's a very different thing to do with a horse and you kind of think really differently because most times you get on a horse and you're you're, the whole thing is to be sitting upright on the horse and obviously when you get the chance to actually do some moves where you're literally hanging upside down on a horse it's really interesting and people love to do it and they it's it's sometimes quite scary but once they actually actually have a go at it they feel really good you know it must build your confidence as well because your, your fear your main fear is a fear of falling off and it's not a fear of dying it's a fear of never being able to ride again so if you're hanging upside down once you've done that and you've galloped down you're thinking well actually I could probably handle anything <laughs> if I can stay yeah, on I think like it that does- it does actually help with your balance on the horse and it helps with your because we move around on the saddle so much um you know simple things like round the world obviously um but a lot of the moves are uh you know going sideways onto the horse and things that you never try normally on your horse. normally people will get onto their horse they'll put their feet in their stirrups as quickly as possible and think that's it i'm on and it's <laughs> like actually you'll be a better rider if you can improve your balance and be on your horse without the aid of your stirrups without the aid of like clinging onto your reins that are like actually just pulling into your horse's mouth but if you can balance on a horse literally with just your seat and you can move around on the horse while it's moving you you've actually 
improved on something so that when you go back to doing your riding you'll you'll be better you'll have better balance and you'll be more confident and you won't be kind of like getting on and like gripping on with your feet into the mm. stirrups you know you'll you it does give more confidence so uh yeah it's a good thing to do is there anything any, any tips that you can give us as like real basics then to help with the balance so say we wanted to have a go because i now want to go and get on my horse and say right i'm gonna move around <laughs> but i'm still yeah. a bit scared is there anything that you could say right okay give this a go I think the first thing that you would do, um, most people ride with their stirrups far too short. So just get your stirrups down really long. okay? Mm -hmm. or even go without your stirrups. And if you can do work without your stirrups or with long stirrups, it's going to improve what you're doing brilliantly. So that's that's the first good thing. (laughs) Secondly, after that, it's a bit tricky because most horses are they need to be trained to be able to have people to do different things on their back so it would be very silly to say oh you know try doing this but you know the horse is like freaks out like oh what are they doing <laughs> yeah. uh, but standing in your standing in your stirrups as well to improve your balance so anyone can do that when they're out on a hack mm. it, you know just stand up in your stirrups and you'll actually find it's quite difficult at the horse walking to just keep stood so you need to strengthen your legs and you need to be strong all the way up through your legs and up through your body and your core. And if you can stand with your arms out at the side while your horse walks forward, yeah. you know, obviously, unless you have to have the contact with the reins and therefore you'd hold the reins. But just standing in the stirrups is a really good way to balance. And you'll find when you try it, you'll keep bending in the middle and your bum will keep falling back down. <laughs> I'm doing it now, sorry. But you'll keep like bopping back down onto your onto your saddle and then you'll realise that your your balance isn't actually that good so just try standing in your stirrups for a long you know like a couple of minutes while while the horse is walking yeah good definitely because because we've got this mentality of seat in the saddle seat in the saddle you've got to be glued yeah. to the saddle also yeah. yoga i've often wondered would yoga and pilates because that's supposed to help strengthen your core would that help yeah Yoga's really, really useful, and we actually, or the members of our troop actually try and do yoga as, as often as we can because of the suppleness. You really do need to be able to stretch your joints. It's almost like being a gymnast, but well, it's very similar to being a gymnast. So, yeah, yeah yoga's a really good thing to do. Anything that supples you up so that you can lift your legs up high, point your toes, which is really important, and all the trick riding moves, you need to have your toes pointed like a ballet dancer. So it's, it's almost like dancing so well, that's um, exactly yeah. how I imagined it I you know every time I look at them I just think you look so at one with the horse it's like um okay my weird analogy is I hula hoop and my friend was a hula hooper and she always said the hula hoop has got to be an extension of your arms and I was yeah. lucky enough to be in the circus once for one week only to, to hula hoop very random (laughs) but I also got the chance to ride the white horse right so I learned then that the horse's front right leg is an extension of your arm and as you move on the horse as a trick rider he's just an extension and you're all working at one together is that right yeah that's exactly right and when you'll find if you when you're learning trick riding and one of the biggest things to crack is being able to vault onto the horse mm-hmm. at trot or um, or to vault off and on at gallop. Now, if you're doing it at trot, you can get help from the horse with the lift by vaulting at the right time as the horse comes up and you're going up, you see. So you are using the horse. If you go against the horse, you know, you'll bang into the saddle. So there, there is a lot of things to do with actually moving with the horse. And like I say, yoga is good, but any kind of dance is actually good because one of the things I find when I have 
students come to learn trick riding is they may be really physically fit and have a good core body they maybe do some kind of martial arts which is really handy because that makes you very aware of your body movements as well Mm. um but the presentation is really really important too so you need to be able to present yourself so and present each move it's no good just being able to complete the move technically but you actually have to present it uh to the audience so you have to have that sort of almost like a bit of stage presence so when you put your hand up in a move you don't just sort of put your hand up in the air Mm -hmm. uh, you have to actually put it up with energy as a dancer would and the energy goes up and out of the end of your hand and you look at the audience when you're doing it you smile you have to smile and you have to be performing so that kind of is really really handy um so what you, you are know, you're you, on a stage aren't you so like you said it is it is performing that's what you've got yeah. to do and the horses are performing do you think there's an element of that they know they are they know when there they're is, on stage? oh no definitely <laughs> definitely all our horses um will they change when they go out to perform they fire themselves up more um and one in particular uh, in fact jake's jousting horse he is always naughty when he's in the rehearsals he won't do it he'll mess around and you'll just think oh crikey and as soon as he goes out in front of the audience he will just do everything right (laughs) and he just doesn't put a foot wrong and he knows when the chips are down and the audience is there he knows that he's going to play to the audience Mm -hmm. so yeah they do know they know when there's a performance they do look different you know they are fired up they hold themselves better which is lovely because you know i think they truly enjoy a lot of elements of the performance you know i think there's some elements where you know when it's it's overly loud maybe when the you know it's always quite annoying if the people are that put the music through the speakers i've got mm. it either up too loud or feedback coming through the speakers i mean none of the horses like that yeah. and you know sometimes people you know when they're when they're operating they don't really take into account that the horse is going to go like ah oh, god you know i don't like that so yeah some of those elements they may be not as happy about but a hundred percent the actual performance of what they're doing and doing what they've rehearsed to do they do really love doing it you can see it when they're doing it <laughs> and, and now this is you've moved on another level so not only are you the performing troupe but you've gone into film work as well well that's right yes I mean since we've been back in this country Jake has got had the opportunity to go and do a little bit of film work where he's been doing like combat roles because they're, he's very interested in sword fighting and all that sort of thing so he's done a little bit of that in some of the films and he's worked with another troupe that has horses in the films mm-hmm. um, so he's done a bit of that and then over the years since we've been here, we've done a few small pieces of film work um, that have been like very small time stuff, documentaries, things like that. Mm-hmm. But just recently, the guys are now riding on the Outlander series, which is really exciting. Wow, that's like, awesome. Which is great. So, yeah, it's really good fun, really enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you get into the likes of the Horse of the Year show? Because everybody's heard, or maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have heard of Lorenzo and they see his YouTube videos and, you know, and there are many of us that think, I'm sh- sure we could do that. I know it's years of experience, but you make it look so easy. He, he is yeah. well known because he's there at these events. So how would you get into, yeah. like olympia or you have to have been doing it for a very very long time and you have to have appeared at a lot of different places like for example i can remember years ago in france when bethany was about 12 and she went to a very small event just like a lot of the places that we perform at now mm. and lorenzo was there doing a performance just like 
just like we were just an ordinary guy that was like pretty good with his horses um and at that point he actually had them all on either he had bridles on all of them and massive long reins so what you see Lorenzo doing now where he's standing on his horses with no bridles and reins, mm-hmm. he was he had them, uh, I think he was on five of them. He was maybe on three behind with two at the front. And he had them on all bridles and reins and he was going around and jumping and doing a demonstration. Now, when you think that that was maybe, I don't know, uh, 13 years ago, it, uh, you have to have been doing it for a really, really long time and you have to have been to a lot of different places and get a lot of publicity. So you have to be seen and that's how you get to these big places. <laughs> really. You know, you have to prove yourself by actually going out there and being seen and you have to do it in lots of little places. And we've found that since we've been in this country. We started out, like, say for the jousting example, we we, we, we go to, like, little country fairs, little medieval fairs, little local things. But eventually, like, this year, we've got a contract with Historic Scotland. Oh, wow. Uh, which now means we've got much bigger coverage. So now we become more well-known because we're the only jousting team in Scotland and we're working for Historic Scotland. So, therefore, you really need to get your name out there. And it takes a long time. It doesn't mm. happen overnight. So that's really how it happens. You know, like like anything, really, you have to be doing it for a long time. Someone like Lorenzo is is absolutely brilliant. And the same as the Pignon brothers. Um, you've got Jean-Francois Pignon and Frédéric Pignon. But they're both really brilliant. But they have been doing that for... I don't know, 25, 30 mm. years maybe, and they get better all the time. So you're you're constantly working on what you're doing, and you really have to do it for a long, long time to be as good as these people. So basically, it, it's just dedication, really. And uh, yeah, <laughs> keep going. You just have to keep doing it. You, you're nearly yeah. there. Fifteen years. You've been doing it a long time. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm getting there. But we we obviously only eight years in this country so that that means we've kind of like got quite a way to go to keep to get our name you know bigger and actually out there because it it is a slow process you know it's it's in france it was a bit different there's a lot more interest i think in it although there is in this country now but Mm. when we first came back here people weren't really sure what it was that we did um when we said we sort of did horse shows they said what what showing horses (laughs) And, and we were like no we mean like entertainment shows with horses you know and it, it was a bit of a new concept but thankfully people are, are really finding out about it more and and really interested now which is lovely well there's, there's a, a lot more a huge fascination for it because it yeah. is so out of the box and i think yeah uh, I can't speak for everybody because I'm not everybody, but most people that I speak to just go, wow, I would love to be able to do that with my horse. And I'd love to be able to have that bond with my horse and be able to just, you look so free, like yeah. you can do anything. But we forget, you're right, it's a show and you're entertaining. And there are years of hard work and graft that have gone into yeah. that. It's not just, yeah. you know, clicking your fingers and the horse will bow. No, no, <laughs> that's right. It takes a really long time. <laughs> That's right. It does. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of experience, a lot of working with horses. But I would always say I'm really pleased that people are more interested because I think personally you can get so much more enjoyment out of working with your horse if you do work from on the ground with your horse and you try doing some liberty work, you try doing some work where, you know, just not traditional work and you, you'll build a much better bond with your horse and you'll find that if you can work like that, you'll you'll get better respect, the horse will lead better, it won't barge and push and on all those things because if you put 
if you start doing work from on the ground, the horse respects you and will listen to you and you have a good connection with your horse. You know, that's that's a really good uh, improvement on a lot of people's relationship with their horses. A lot of people haven't got such a good connection with their horses. They'd maybe like to think they have, Mm -hmm. you know, and they. They, they get pushed or barged or pulled or dragged um, around the place by their horse and they haven't really put the work in from on the ground to improve that. And obviously, if you can work on the ground with your horse, uh, when you get on, you've got a much better relationship with your horse because it's listening to you, you've got a good connection and it will do what you're asking it to do. So, um, yeah, it's it's just a lot of work, but it's a different type of work. It's maybe not the traditional, you know, jump on the pony and kick and... <laughs> go <laughs> yeah so um yeah. can you can people actually send their horses can they bring their horses to you and you guys work together to help them well what what we would normally do every case is different mm-hmm. um in the local area we have got uh, a member of the troop that will go out and, and work with people with their horses we have on an occasion arranged for people to bring a horse and where we've showing them you know what to do but one of the best ways to to do it is actually for people to come and see what we do with our horses Mm -hmm. in a in a demo we run demo days and things like that and so that that way you can when you're working with your own horse you can explain what it is that you're doing um and then you can show all the steps and you can then show the result because obviously the horse can actually do it um if you take a horse that's never done anything you know you'll you'll spend half an hour literally just asking the horse to maybe move its shoulder or stand and look at you and people haven't learned a huge amount from watching that you may have you may have achieved that with the horse but it doesn't really sow the seed as much as if they see you doing it with your horses and what you can do but demo days are good and then if people are really interested you know we come to an arrangement whether you know they could arrange to bring their horse or we could go and see their horse or something like that so yeah we do do some of that um but obviously our lives then get very busy because <laughs> yeah. we're performing all summer and when we're doing a performance every weekend mm-hmm. it makes a very short week in between in the middle so of we're sometimes free on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but then by the Friday we're packing or going to the next place to do another live show. So our time gets very limited in the summer. <laughs> yeah, no time off. Bless you. No, You're no. exhausted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quite hard. <laughs> uh, so is, how can we follow you? Do you have a YouTube account? Do you put up videos? We put up videos on YouTube. We've got a really nice guy that we work with that that does promotional videos for us, a good friend of ours. Um, So we've got quite a few different videos on YouTube. If you just look at Les Amidono, which is an awkward name. So if you've got it, you you know, you remember it or sometimes other people don't remember it. Uh, We do quite a lot on Facebook. I'm going to spell that. It's L-E-S-A-M-I-S-D-apostrophe-O-N-N-O. And I'll tweet it as well. That's brilliant. And uh, if you find us on Facebook, we've got some pages where we keep different areas updated, which are very simple, like um, a page called Jousting Scotland and uh, Equestrian Theatre Scotland, Film Horses Scotland and Stunt Riding Scotland. So if you look at those individual pages, uh, we try to keep those areas of what we're doing like really up to date. So whenever we've done a stunt riding show, literally within the week, I'll try and get the pictures on of the latest show on that one. Or if it's a jousting show, I'll try and put the latest information on there of where we are or what we're doing. Oh, so awesome. um, There was one I saw that you tweeted um, of a wedding and it was a beautiful black horse and just the girl was stunning. 
Yes, it was a that was a that was really good. It was a photographer that asked us to do a photo shoot for a wedding dress. So basically, what he's branching out into is offering for brides to get their photographs taken with their horse. Oh, so, amazing! Uh, which is a really nice thing. He's a really good portrait photographer. So he'd got some ideas, and he knew that we'd got just the right horses for it. So he came up and. Um, we set up the shot. He set up the shots. He was up here for the day doing the full photo shoot. So that was lovely. And the horses, obviously, our horses are so well behaved and they do exactly what he wants. And there's one of them bowing. And I think we've got one of the um, Spanish horses rearing up. There was a white horse and he does his bit. So he got some really beautiful shots, actually. And uh, it's good promotion. You know, it's going to be a promotional thing that he's doing. So, yeah, that's another job. We do, we do uh, a variety of photo shoots as well. <laughs> Yeah. You do everything. And then how can we follow you on Twitter? We're under Les Amis Dono again on Twitter. Um, I try to keep that up updated as often as possible. You know, like everything, it's yeah. quite hard. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, Sue, thank you so much. It's been really interesting talking to you. And um, please let us know when, uh, we need to see when you're, when you're doing your demos and where you're going to be in the country so that we can come and see you. Um, so what, just check out your Facebook. Check out Facebook um, and check out Twitter. I try to put things on there where we're going to be. We have got a website, which is obviously lesamidono.com. So generally I'll have a list of dates up on there. I try to put that up in early on in the year. So sometime in the new year, I'll have a date, uh, all the dates up on where we're going to be, hopefully. So try to keep things updated. Just have a look, have a look around and, uh, and uh, come and find us. And if anybody does come along to an event we're at um come and seek us out and say hello i <laughs> do and let's share everything that les Amis does because we we want you to be so famous that you're in every tv commercial there is <laughs> brilliant that would be lovely oh, thanks sue <laughs> thank you very much brilliant it's been a pleasure talking to you i've really enjoyed it bye bye thanks so much for listening don't forget you can share your stories talk about your charity your business or your event with us on twitter just hashtag horse hour it's every monday between 8 and 9 p.m uk time you can also follow us at horse hour or you can follow me at amy stevenson one Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.